Welcome and thank you for joining us for this episode of Ganado Meets, where Ganado team members meet sector leaders to informally discuss topics of interest. I am Daniel Aquilina, partner at Ganado's Transport Law Practice, and for today's session I am pleased to have with me Professor Christian Zarpadami. Professor Zarpadami studied natural sciences in Cambridge and later obtained a PhD in astronomy, also from Cambridge. Since 2007, he has been working at the University of Oxford, where he is in charge of building major components of the largest radio astronomy instrument ever envisaged, the Square Kilometre Array. In 2013, Professor Zarpadami set up the Institute of Space Sciences and Astronomy at the University of Malta, which teaches postgraduate Maltese students the techniques and cutting-edge technologies that space science requires. Christian, thank you for joining us today. Um, uh, you set up the Institute of Space Sciences and Astronomy, the ISSA, at the University of Malta. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about that and what you're trying to achieve? Right, so I set up the Institute of Space Sciences and Astronomy, we call it ISSA, after the, the Maldives acronym, in about 2014, if I, if I remember correctly. And the idea there was to start offering postgraduate courses for people who are studying ICT, engineering, and science in order to have more of exposure of space-related activities and research within, within the space sector. The space sector is mostly divided into three parts, the upstream sector, the downstream sector, and what are now called space-related activities. The upstream sector is what is classically known as the rockets, the satellites, the, things that the, the vehicles that go into space, or the vessels, the space-faring vessels. The downstream industry is services that arise from these satellites. So, for example, GPS system, location, um, cl cl climate models, and, and things like that, products that are, arise from the upstream sector. So, for example, if you're watching you know, sports on satellite TV, that would be a downstream sector. And then nowadays, there are what the, what the third part is known as the space-related activities, which is mostly about insurance around space assets, registry of space assets, and other things that, for example, involve space traffic management and space debris monitoring. So ISSA was first set up in order to cover mostly the upstream, because we were mostly interested in the astronomy, cosmology, and scientific side of things. So studying the birth of galaxies, the expansion of the universe, and understanding how the cosmological parameters and the size of our universe is changing with time. Eventually, we moved on towards more downstream activities like more location-based services, maritime rescue, maritime monitoring, for example, of vessels through AIS systems that are based on, on upstream activities. And we're not yet really much into the space-related activities because that is more of a kind of financial and commercial services side of the space sector. Okay, and has the interest of Maltese students um, reached your expectations or matched them? I mean, in terms of interest, I think we've, we've been steadily growing. So we have about two or three PhD students every, every year that, that come from the three faculties. Of course, you know, being the director of the institute, I would always like to see more of these activities. But we're also now having a lot of international placements with European Space Agency, NASA, and other space agencies in Europe and abroad. So this is giving multi-students much more of an opportunity to be able to be exposed more to space-related activities. Okay, and um, I see you have a role as well on the Malta Space Task Force. Um, can you take us through what the uh, objectives are of that task force in the short, medium and long term, perhaps? Yes, so the, I think the Space Task Force was set up in maybe 2016, 2017 under the auspices of, I think it was Sylvia Schembri at the time. 
And the idea was for the government to bring experts from the different stakeholders of the different governmental institutions around Malta. So the Space Task Force is composed of um, the, the chairman, who is Omar Kotayer, who is on the kind of diplomatic side, was based in Brussels for, for a lot of the time. And then the stakeholders are from the Malta Communications Authority, there's Transport Malta, there's, for example, myself from the academia side, from, from, from the research side. There's Roberto Cassar from the from the from from the legal yeah, I read side. his thesis, an excellent yeah, thesis right. on, a, space on, on, on space assets. So, so the idea about this was for us to to bring together these experts or like stakeholders to start to draft the first space strategy for Malta. There was already a national space policy that was written by the Malta Council of Science and Technology which was done in conjunction with the European Space Agency when Malta started to join and signed a, a cooperative agreement with the, with the European Space Agency. The idea was for them to draft a policy in line with the European Space Agency in order for us to be able to start to attract um, foreign investment and investment and the roadmap between, in conjunction with the European Space Agency and, MC, and MCST. The space strategy is complementary to the space policy in the, in, in the way that it kind of tries to implement or produce an implementation of the space policy and now update the space policy as it goes. So the space strategy that we finished drafting with help from KPMG is due for release for, for public consultation within the next month or so. And the idea is to map out um, the strategy for Malta in it and the space-related endeavors between 2021 and 2027. There are four or five pillars, basically, that are, that are the kind of foundations of the strategy. You know, mainly they are around foreign direct investment, development of human capital, emerging technologies, um, and international regulatory frameworks, for example, to bring more of these things to Malta, as well as, I should say, because this is most important for me, the kind of development of human capital and human potential in the space-related areas. Okay, so it's quite far-reaching in, in terms it of is. The, the strategy. That's right. We've tried to cover as many bases as possible to kind of then try and converge on what happens almost organically to our discussion with the European Space Agency and other foreign stakeholders. As a law firm, Ganado would be particularly interested in this strategy because Ganado was a prime mover in the development of the local aviation laws and basically responsible for the drafting of the Aircraft Registration Act and the decision of Malta to accede to the Cape Town Convention and the Aircraft Protocol. So to follow up on that success, you know, the firm has also been researching the Space Protocol, also on the advice of Max Ganado, who tends to see an opportunity for Malta where before I see it, to be honest. Um, and we hope to be able to contribute to the debate on Malta's possible accession to the Space Protocol and the growth of the space sector in Malta as well, ourselves as a law firm and, and as an industry. So um, probably that will be covered by the strategy, I'm assuming, which is about to be launched. And uh, Yes, in fact, uh, a large part of the strategy is devoted to this regulatory framework. And in fact, there are also kind of opinions by, by, by the experts like Roberto on which treaties we should, we should accede to. And of course, from my, from my point of view, my personal opinion is we should sign up to many of these treaties as possible because you also gain the critical mass of all the other countries that are contributing to and, and exceeding these treaties. In fact, the next step, at least the, the, the next closest step um, that is identified in the strategy, which is to happen over the next 12 to 18 months, 
is is a draft of the space act of the first legal if you if, if you like framework or kind of legal structure for us to be able to develop these things with which is like the space act and in fact one of them that was identified as the first is as you said is the registry of spacefaring vehicles and also the ancillary services as you know that go with this for example insurance financial services cre crediting of of um, financing of these space going assets but also the insurances and things that go out that go on that then pull in things for example like space traffic management space asset tracking space asset protection and for example space debris and how we mitigate and control space traffic above, above our atmosphere no, it would be very interesting because there's a lot of creditor confidence in Malta and the aviation sector because of the Cape Town Convention and the aircraft protocol. So we feel um, that that can be mirrored as well, you know, in the Space Act eventually and in the protocol if we accede to it. Um, there's also tailor-made incentives, I understand, for space startups and uh, satellite communication companies to come to Malta. Um, are you seeing a lot of interest already or do you think we're still lagging a bit behind and the regulatory framework will help us to achieve that better. I think if you compare us to, for example, other other countries like the UK, maybe the Netherlands and Germany, we're still lagging behind. However, you have to also bear in mind that we started much, much later on than, than these countries and we've, we've made huge strides to producing this regulatory framework hopefully over the next two years which in fact as well one of the main aims of this is this foreign direct investment of satellite companies and for example space startups but what we're looking at mostly in the beginning is more as we said in the beginning these downstream services and and ancillary and, and services or space related activities so we're not really yet looking at for example having a satellite construction construction area even though now you know there are CubeSats, which are 10 centimeters by 10 centimeters by 10 centimeters, which are, you know, easily, easily produced, you know, they're cheap enough to, to send to space. So I think, you know, the current price is 100,000 euros per kilogram in, in lower orbit. So things are becoming much more affordable. And we're also seeing big companies, you know, like SpaceX, Blue Origins, and uh, other big companies, you know, leading to this democratization of the space of the space era where they will see much more commercial launches and hopefully it grows in the same way as the aviation sector grew over the past 50 to 100 years okay um uh, i was also reading about project malith um how successful was that project and what were the main objectives of that so project malith was run out of um the me me medical and biomedical in institute by professor joseph borch and his idea was to put a cube which is another another small cube, which is about again about a few centimeters cubed in volume, with um, blood samples and tissue samples of diabetic patients to understand whether there is any change in their gen in their genetics or there's any change by being in a weightless environment in a in a, in a free floating environment. So the idea was, which was successfully launched, I think, in at the end of August on a SpaceX rocket to the International Space Station. It was um, spent about two or three weeks on the International Space Station. And as I understood, they made the re-entry a week ago or two or three days ago. So now they will be studying the genetics and what changed to these cells in space compared to... Okay. Compared no, to that's really interesting because if you excuse my ignorance, when I was reading up, I couldn't figure out the, you know, the connection between studies in space and actual benefits to medicine and, and the studies that were being carried out. So. It's basically the gravity-less 
environment that was uh, that's right the wastelessness the, the, okay. that affects the cells all right and uh, you were also um, behind the launch of malta's first stratospheric balloon i think that happened quite recently um what were the objectives there was it mainly related to weather and uh, environmental aspects or was there more right so so one so one of the main activities that is carried out in space is things like remote sensing. What, what, what we mean by remote sensing is the observation of the Earth from space. So, for example, this is used to predict weather, to look at, for example, climate changing con conditions, deforestation, and general climatic conditions. What we did, in fact, with, with uh, Stratos-1, which is the first stratospheric balloon that was launched by the Institute at the, at the end of August, was to try and understand what the pollution levels and dust levels are in a column of atmosphere above Mulder. So basically, as the balloon rises from ground level to 30 kilometers above, it takes samples of the dust um, above Mulder and also light pollution and also the general um, maritime environment of it. And it basically sends back um, photos and imagery of, of the you know how, how much land is built up, how much dust there is, what, what the depth of the waters are around the Maldives Islands and, 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 and other things like that, what a lot of light pollution there is. So the idea behind that is it's a series of balloons that will be launched every three months in order for us to be able to understand the seasonal differences between, between the, the readings in terms of pollution, for example, and, and other things. Okay, so once the balloon reaches around 35 kilometers, if I'm not mistaken, above Malta, it would... Um, it, it bursts. It bursts, and then the, um, the actual module or whatever would, would, was recovered by AFM, I understand. That's correct, yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah, so basically what happens is you fill the, the balloon with about 150 atmospheres of pressure, so 150 um, times the atmospheric pressure. It, it rises because it's made of helium, which is much lighter than, um, than air. And as it rises up to a point where the pressure is too big for the balloon, it basically bursts. So it's basically like, you, you, like you've overinflated the balloon. The, the payload um, is attached with a parachute and obviously has a GPS tracker on it. And then we tracked it with AFM and picked it up after about two and a half hours of flight time. Okay, and this was the first ever, this if I understand. Time, yes. But this is going to be repeated every, yes, every uh, few months? That's right, seasonally, most probably. Okay, that's um, really interesting. I was reading a lot about it. I'm also seeing that um, Malta's temperature is expected to rise by about 3.3 degrees Celsius by the end of the century, I believe. And uh, obviously tracking, you know, climate change and, and it affects, you know, even agriculture and other areas, that, I assume. That, that's right. In fact, one of the things of understanding deforestation and desertification and things like this is usually only done through remote sensing because you can really get a much bigger picture of how the desertification and deforestation is affecting the climate changes and the climate models you know that we are now beginning to see in fact you know i think last week the nobel prize for physics was awarded for this first actual quantification of climate models and the real understanding you know that it's not just a hot summer or just a colder winter there is a steady trend that is changing over 20 30 50 years showing you know that probably this summer was the coldest summer we're going to have for the next 20 years. Okay, and uh, I have a maritime law background, so, you know, the way this would affect maritime studies interests me particularly. What is the, besides analyzing the depth of the ocean and, and the territorial seas around Malta, what else is there to be benefited from these kinds of studies in the maritime sector? So, for example, in the maritime sector, there was a lot about, for example, 
pollution that maritime vessels leave in their trails, for example, which you can pick up through satellites and through things like, like, like Stratos-1. There's also studies of pollution levels and, and wastage that is dumped out on places like Hertz Bank, where, 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 um, where a lot of maritime vessels are parked. And also, you know, if you speak to Professor Alan Daydoon, he will tell you the introduction of alien species that come from these vehicles that are attached to these hulls from, um, from Malaysia and from Southeast Asia and from other places. There's also, of course, then, you know, the, the, the satellite surveillance and security of irregular activity that happens in maritime, in maritime situations, you know. So, for example, ISSA was contacted, I think, maybe two or three years ago to try and see whether we can calculate the weight of a ship from satellite photography by looking at the wake, by looking at the shadow, so that then they can compare with AIS and with um, bills of lading to see if they were really transporting what they said they were transporting or not. So it's actually quite far-reaching. Um, it is, yes, it is quite far-reaching. Um, and does it also reach uh, wave motion analysis and that kind of thing Cor as well? Or? Correct, yes. Yeah. So we can do also wave motion analysis. We can do, for example, tidal shifts, currents, uh, which obviously, you know, and there's also then the AIS and also the kind of maritime rescue operations that is all encompassed through these satellite services. Okay, I mean, it's it's really quite amazing because, I mean, the space sector for many still sounds as almost, you know, not fictional anymore, but at least, you know, a bit far-fetched or at least out of reach or people think of, you know, rocket launches or... And they don't realize perhaps how much activity in the space sector can actually benefit us on a daily basis in so many areas, you know, such as climate change, agriculture, maritime, uh, health, like you explained before. So um, it's really becoming quite exciting, you know, to see that. That's not just about astronauts and <laughs> that sort of thing, you know. Um, and there's more awareness now, I think, about that as well. So um, people are realizing that um, uh, that more effort has to be put in for sure. And I think the government of Malta has definitely um, given you the the tools, you know, to um, to continue working on that. Um, I saw a particular quote in the newspapers where they are quoting you as saying uh, that you wish to inspire young children, especially girls, uh, that's good news because I have four daughters myself, <laughs> to embark on a career in sciences and while evoking their curiosity about celestial wonders. I mean, beyond the quote, what do you really wish to see in the future for Malta and this area? I mean, you can be seen as one of the pioneers, for sure, if not the pioneer. So um, I think it's really interesting to see that things are actually happening, things are developing, you have support. <clears throat> I mean, that quote, obviously, is about inspiration, is about education. What did you really mean behind that quote? What is really behind it? I think what we what we really would like to see is is more uh, participation from of the female cohort, especially in the in the ages I would say between seven and thir and, and thirteen, where for some reason they seem to be a little bit more discouraged than their than the, than the male cohort to in the uptake of STEM subjects, especially engineering, science, technology, and space. In fact, one of the things we did with the with the balloon launch was this introduction of Sarah the scientist, you know, and I think it was in the first the first kind of short book is called Sarah and the Brave Balloon, which is about her launching this this balloon after going to up to up to a to a party and understanding why this balloon goes as high as it does. And I think, you know, our idea, especially is for, for women in space, is is a untapped market and an untapped potential that we see that there's no reason why 
females should be discouraged or so, or or for for some other reason not take up these technical engineering and and mathematical things so we're trying to encourage more of this to see this even at a postgraduate level you know if we look at the percentages of postgraduates at ISSA that are you know male to female it's almost 90 percent male to 10 percent female you know and as, as you go further down it, uh, the ratios aren't so good as yet for having female participation in the stem part of um, research i think the same thing happened in education in ict where where there was a push for for girls for females to um, be encouraged more to take that um, that part as well so we've seen it work in ict where the ratios are now changing so it will probably yeah. in fact one of the things we're well. trying to do as well is to try and you know teach the teachers to, to to encourage these people more you know not to be afraid of these questions and things and to and to try and get more encouragement of science and technology in these in the almost pre-secondary school you know when they're choosing their own levels between and the age of 13 is what we would like to really target okay um do you see malta malta as an observer status at the european state space agency correct i mean can you see um room for growth or further participation or being more of a protagonist there having a louder voice because for example in the maritime industry where we're a very small state of course but we have a loud voice at IMO and at other levels because we have a significant maritime industry. Do you see Malta gaining more recognition in this area as well? I mean, I mean, I'd hope so, right? The, the issues that we have with the European Space Agency and the opportunities that there are at the European Space Agency are kind of both an opportunity and a challenge. To join the European Space Agency, there's, there's a fee. The fee is about, I think, 1.5 million euros a year. Now, of that 1.5 million euros, 87% of it is returned to the country in, in, in terms of space industry. Through our discussions with the European Space Agency, we still don't have a mature enough industry to absorb that 87% um, re return to the country. So what we're trying to do with the space task force and the space strategy is to try and, you know, till the ground and make it fallow enough for, for people to start um, to, to invest in this so that they can take advantage of this 87% return. And that will give us a much stronger voice within the European Space Agency. And also, of course, as you correctly mentioned, us joining the treaties and eventually, you know, kind of contributing to the treaties would help much more to give us a stronger voice at an international level. Okay, and do we find support from the EU in this, uh, in this respect? Um, from the EU, yes, there are several funds, for example, the Horizon Fund, and for example, there's also the MCST Space Fund. So the MCST Space Fund is really given to us by the European, is contributed to us by the European Space Agency, and that is mainly focused on the remote, remote um, observation and maritime observations around around the Maltese water. So it's more about Earth observation. So what can, for example, Satellite services tell us about Malta's deforestation, construction, desertification, dust, maritime, maritime environment. Perfect. Christian, it's been a real pleasure. It's been uh, very educational for me as well. I've learned a lot from this uh, podcast. Um, we hope to continue developing you know, our interest even as a firm and as an industry in Malta and in the, from the legal aspect you know, to continue to contribute as much as possible. Uh, we're confident that the uh, space industry will um, continue to gain more and more attention um, and we uh, we thank you for being here once again and congratulate you because many of the initiatives which have happened so far 
have been pioneered by you and your colleagues um, on the on the task force. So uh, thanks again, and uh, we'll be in touch for sure. Thank you for having me.